For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Welcome in, DC family. First of all, thank you for joining us on what is our 90th episode of Believe in Wizards podcast. Uh, that's just incredible to think about. Really appreciate all the support. Uh, everybody in you know Wizards, uh, Wizards land out there trying to help us improve and grow as a show and, and bring you different content. I'm going to try to do something new here today. I've got two of my colleagues from Bolts Forever joining me. We're going to do what we call like a Bolts Forever topic of the week. And essentially, it's just sort of like what's a hot button issue or topic with the team that people are talking about or commenting a lot about and just kind of like addressing it, you know, trying to get into it, have Osmond Begg on to, to talk about some of the things he's seen from like the social media side of things with the Bolts River uh, Twitter account and what people are saying about it. Kevin Broom will be on here to talk about it from a stats standpoint. I don't know what I'll really bring to the table other than some color commentary, maybe and some moderating. So, uh, you know, between the three of us, hopefully we can uh, hash out some of these uh, larger issues uh, with our Wizards team and the topic today is going to be Point Beal. Should he be here to stay? Is Brad at Point Guard an experiment that needs to be continued longer term? And so we're just going to weigh in on that. We'd love to hear what you think. So uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And just kind of let us know uh, how we did and if this is something you'd like to see moving forward. And I think between this and uh, Kevin's So Wizards podcast, we're going to try to do a podcast about it. There'll be blog posts about it. And there'll be some social media posts about it too for, for more fan engagement. And I think you know, longer term, the, the goal here is to kind of have you guys weigh in on what the topic is that gets covered each week. And we'll try to bring in different guests to cover certain topics. And that's kind of the hope, you know, we just want to build like a more interactive Wizards community. And I think that's a, a good way to do it rather than us just get on here and talking about whatever we want to talk about. We'd rather, you know, address the things that that are most on people's mind. So that's kind of the plan. But before we get to that, just a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. BetOnline has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football season continues, it's March through college bowls and the pro football playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports betting action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing new offers available. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, with that, let's get to the actual podcast. All right, it's my pleasure to be joined by Kevin Broom and Osmond Begg of Bolts Forever. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hey, man, glad, glad to be here. Be here. <laughs> uh, Oz, this is kind of your baby here. Why don't you explain for folks what we're doing and, and what the goal is? So we wanted to tackle tackle things a little bit of a new way uh, in 2022. 
every week, you, everyone's a lot of us are on social media. A lot of us, in particular, are on Twitter. That's where Matt, Kevin, myself—that's pretty much where we we've, we've met each other. Um, and the thing that happens on Twitter, that happens on most social media platforms, is people just start debating, arguing, having a dialogue, what have you. So. What we thought of thought was why not take the topic du jour of the week? Why not take whatever is relative to the Wizards the most that week? Have a podcast on it, discuss it from all angles. We have different perspectives here um, between Kevin, myself, Matt, um, different ideas uh, on on a particular subject. From there, Kevin is our Kevin's the expert. He's the He's the one who could jump into the analytics and then he could, uh, wanted him to kind of take a look into what do the numbers actually say? And then we'd have a written piece on it. And then from there, just kind of like put it out to everyone on uh, Wizards Twitter. Like, what do you think of our take? What do you like? Where do you stand on it? And kind of just see where you lie on that particular t- subject. So where we're starting this week is um, over the past two, two and a half, three years games, we've kind of seen an evolution in Bradley Beal's game. He, by necessity, has started playing uh, the point guard role. He's kind of, you could argue he's played this role for some time now, but he's officially in the starting lineup. He is listed as the point guard in the past two games, which makes you wonder, can he actually do this? And is this sustainable? And just as kind of just for, for reference purposes, he is averaging, I believe it's close to 30 points and 11 assists in these three games that he has played primarily, primarily the point guard. Um, so we wanted to kind of, uh, we kind of wanted to put that out there and just have a discussion on it. Is this an evolution in Brad's game that they should invest in? Is this like how, kind of how they should view him going forward? And, um, yeah, we wanted to start with, this as our first topic. I think there's some wrinkles we can throw in here along the way too. And we'll just kind of hit all, all sides of it. You know, we did not sort of pre-discuss this one too much. So, uh, you know, it'll be a little bit surprised to us as we go along here, whether or not. Uh, each of us are in favor or kind of against the the notion of point Beal moving forward. So we, yeah, that's a good point. We have no idea where the other one stands on this topic. Also, although Bradley Beal's three point shooting has declined, we are calling this whole segment the, the Bullets Forever three point play. <laughs> it's the old fashioned three point play, maybe. Um, just just to sort of level set for folks, the last three games that that Beal has been more of a primary ball handler, let's say. Uh, included, um, let's see, a 110-93 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, an unfortunate 120-119 to 119 loss to the Chicago Bulls, which uh, I'm still kind of not fully over, but and then a 124-121 win over the Hornets. So um, I, just overall, I think they've looked pretty good in those three games, let's say mostly from an offensive standpoint. Um, I guess just sort of out of the gate here, Kevin, I'll kick it to you. Like, does this have much to do with Beal being more of a facilitator and why they've looked good offensively? Or is this just them starting to click and come around as a team? Like, what do you kind of attribute this to? I would say it's a little too soon. It's too soon to, like, say much about it. Because there's so many things going on in the league in terms of, you know, people being out with COVID and stuff like that. I mean, like with Cleveland, they beat Cleveland. They were missing Jared Allen, who's their best defender. He's their best player, you know? And so would Jared Allen have made that big a difference? Well, maybe, maybe not. But the point is this still that, you know, if you took like Rudy Gobert off Utah jazz for a game, that team isn't as good. And I'm not saying putting Jared Allen at that level. I'm just saying that in terms of importance to Cleveland, 
Jared Allen is at least that important to, uh, to, to Cleveland and what they try to do. So, you know, and you could see like Evan Mobley just getting knocked back over repeatedly because he's just so slender at this point in his, in his life. But um, that said, I do think that there's something there. So Beal has been like the primary ball handler before, um, but he's always been looking to score. And this year, the team has clearly, from the beginning of the season, asked him to do more passing, more facilitating. And now, like, naming him point guard and having him hunting assists in some ways has been um, – it's, it's been very interesting because he is such a threat to score. Um, and even with the poor shooting from three-point range, he teams still defend him out there. So um, I think it does create more space and does – you know, his drives – attract attention as they should because he's a good finisher inside he gets fouled gets free throws so i think there's something there um and it's just going to be interesting to see how it evolves and how the league reacts now that there are three games on film of him doing point guard stuff i've, I've had um i mean as you guys know i'm i'm the <laughs> the resident beal skeptic at times uh and I mean, that's fine. I mean, I think it's more in my mind, it's more just critique of his game because I think there is an upside there, but, and also kind of just an understanding of not just looking at the raw numbers, it's more what's the impact of those numbers. So two of the main concerns I've had with Beal are his decline in three-point shooting and also how much volume he absorbs. So the kind of point guards that they've continuously tried to put around him also have uh a high level of like usage. High, they, they demand a high level of usage, high level of touches, and also not the best shooters historically. They've had Wall, they've had Westbrook, now they're, they've signed Dinwiddie or traded for Dinwiddie. So the, the matches to me have always been clunky. So that's to me is although he still puts up his 30 points, it's difficult to fit a high usage shooting guard with declining three-point shooting who turns it over at a, at a pretty decent clip with an, with a point guard who also has shooting issues and um, needs higher usage to, to, to dominate the raw, to, to kind of play their game, what have you. So <clears throat> this actually, in my mind, all the, again, small sample size, but it kind of solves an issue to me. Um, their best offense that I've seen with Beal actually was with when he, when he played with Sadransky, in my opinion, relative to league average in terms of ORTG. That was, I thought, his best pairing. Um, and Sadransky is not really a dynamic point guard. He, what his job was, he brought the ball up the floor. He was able to knock down open threes. And he kind of, he did a very good job of not slowing things down. Um, but the ball was primarily in Beal's hand, hands. So I think right now what we're seeing is when he's at the point guard, it kind of helps the spacing because teams still do have to, even though his three-point shooting has, has declined, uh, as you said, Kevin, teams are still guarding him at the three-point line. And he is such a threat to score that even if he's not the greatest passer, his threat to score is opening up passing lanes for him. So it's kind of solving a couple of the issues. You're not like trying to squeeze, you're not trying to fit and fit him next to another high usage guard in an awkward fit. He's kind of just taking that entire role. And over the course of the game, it's not the take a turn thing. I think you kind of actually saw it in the Charlotte game. He was pretty... I would say he was playing pretty unselfishly for the most, for the first half. And then in the second half, when he had to go into scoring mode, he did, but it was in the flow of the game versus it being what we saw traditionally with Westbrook, where it's like, okay, Westbrook takes his possession. Now Beal takes his possession. You kind of remove that aspect of it. And Beal is kind of focused on facilitating because he knows that the ball is going to go through in the entire game. 
the last time Kevin and I did a pod together, we talked a lot about gravity and how it's not just drawing people out to the three-point line, but it's also driving, you know, drawing people into the paint. And I think that's the main reason they wanted to get Dinwiddie was he could be a guy to get into like the teeth of the defense, draw people in and create better looks for Beal. But to your point, Oz, is that the way they should be going? Like, if you look at some of the, I'm going to say the teams that just won titles, not that we're anywhere near a title contender, but in terms of like trying to come up with an identity, it revolves around a better player having a lot of his own gravity and then creating space, therefore, for like four other guys. There are very few teams where it's two guys in the 25 plus percent usage range and then three other randoms. Like this just seems to kind of fit better with a formula that seems to be working for teams in the league right now. Like you look at the Toronto team, a lot of guys around Kawhi. The Warriors are a little different, obviously, but like you look at the Lakers team around LeBron, like even AD is still was more of like a spread the floor kind of guy for them. You look at the Bucks with Giannis, like Middleton is is kind of even not a high usage guy for a guy that scores 20 a game. Like, I don't know. It, it just seems to me like maybe they're going in a direction that translates to a little bit more success than than what they've been trying to do for the last five or six years. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I uh, to to the point that you're making, Ben Taylor, uh, who wrote uh, what did he write? Thinking basketball, and um, he talks a lot about scalability and what he means by that. A lot of times is that like the ISO scorer is has a limited value because isolations generally don't have. You're, when when you're playing in isolation, you're not helping your teammates. But with this, it's like Beal isn't. He's he's driving, and this is the the thing that. Um, I think makes like the, those dynamic guards the most valuable is when they're a threat to do either mm-hmm. pass or score when th- they can do either. This is one of the things that I think kind of capped Gilbert Arenas a little bit because Gilbert would do that thing where he would say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pass for the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, I'll look to score. And then in the third quarter, I'll look to pass again. And it's like, okay, integrate those things, yeah. you know, do, do one of the, don't do pick a side, do, integrate them, do the, so that you don't have to force shots because you're looking to score and you don't have to force passes because you're looking to pass. And now um, I felt like earlier in the season, Beal was forcing passes and committing a lot of turnovers. And now it feels a little bit more like he's um, it's, it's more integrated for him in the sense that he's when he drives, you don't know whether he's going to kick or whether he's going to get all the way to the rim and he could do either one. So I think that's a, it's a positive thing that the, the challenge, like I said, is what do you do now with Dinwiddie? You know, do you park him in the corner and let him attack closeouts when Beal gets in the ball? Uh, maybe, you know, a three and D point guard or a three and D combo guard would be pretty nice. I think uh, with this iteration of Beal, assuming this keeps up, but they've invested quite a bit in Dinwiddie. They've got to get their money out of it. I think the, so the issue, actually Matt and I did a pod earlier this week or late last week. And, and kind of one of the questions that we had was what model with high usage on ball pairing guards, what model were they even chasing? And I think what we concluded was we don't know because we can't even point to the examples of two, two high usage non three point shooting guard pairings that worked. And so why have they been chasing this model for the past decade plus um, but kind of, as you said, like, so now that we're here, maybe with Beal playing that more point guard role, yes, you do have the Dinwiddie, the, the Dinwiddie, uh, let's just call it an issue because they did sign him to a big contract. 
it would, in some senses, you'd be like, oh no, they just made this investment. It's too early to kind of pull the plug in and make a substantial or like a you know dramatic shift to his role. But Dinwiddie does, it's not as though Dinwiddie has this great track record as a starting point guard. He's kind of played multiple roles. He's had, he's had a lot of injuries. He's had, he's had an interesting career thus far. And one of his more effective seasons was off the bench. If, let's just say hypothetically, um, you do start Beal at point guard and you start Cantavius Caldwell-Pope at the, t- the two-guard next to him. Now, now that's another topic there. Uh, KCP, ideally, I think the 3 and D shoot, like you said, the 3 and D is the ideal fit next to this Beal, but <laughs> KCP has to actually start making shots. And I'm not sure who put the bug in his ear that, hey, you could do stuff off the dribble, you know, off the bounce. <laughs> Someone needs to maybe pull the reins back on that. But like just KCP, the ideal, I, the fit theoretically is there. Can you put Dinwiddie on the second unit as your six man? I guess one of the things I just want to get to before you guys get too far into should we put Dinwiddie on the benches, has what we've seen recently been successful enough to you that it's worth considering like doubling down on this? So we talked about creating easier shots and what Beal should be doing for them. They scored 72 points in the paint <laughs> against uh, Chicago, and, and obviously that's their most of the season. Um, they had 68 second half points against the Hornets. That's the most of the season. It, it does look like, you know, this team is finally like gelling over the last like 10 games or so. And, and that does have a lot to do with like their offensive numbers are up over the last, let's say nine games and Beal's numbers himself are up considerably over those last nine games. So is it just Beal playing better leading to more success or is it this role? I, I guess that's really what would I want to sh- like tease out from you guys. Yeah, so I have a couple of thoughts. One of them being um, that just to reiterate the point or reemphasize the point that I made at the start, and that is that we—it's we, still tough to say because the league is in such flux. You know, Charlotte, for example, is one of the worst defensive teams in the league, and so scoring a lot of points on Charlotte. I mean, I imagine most teams have scored their like league high or their, their, their season's best against Charlotte um, in, in a half or a quarter or a game. Or, Are you telling us Kelly Oubre is not a defensive stopper? Yeah, no, apparently not. <laughs> Somehow that never worked out. Um, so there's that. But then also uh, throughout the league, um, the the if offensive efficiency has been climbing pretty steadily, that, that usually happens, um, is that offensive efficiency does come up during this course of the season. Um, so... Um, that, that is something else that's going on is that this improvement is coming at a time when the rest of the league is also uh, getting better on offense as well, or worse on defense, whichever way you want to, you want to put it. Um, and then, so is it Beal? I mean, Beal is clearly playing much better than he was earlier in the season. And it feels like, you know, just looking at him that um, it's that, that it is in part the role of, you know, be, being a little bit more integrated in terms of scoring and, and passing that I mentioned. The the thing with Dinwiddie is, I, I just wonder what the Wizards thought they were getting um, because they seem to think that they were getting, you know, like a, a borderline All Star type of type of guy, and he's he's never been that. You know, this and is one something year of that, maybe one and a half, right? Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, and, you know, I have my metric. He's he's never rated his peak. So my metric is PPA, player production average. And in PPA, 100 is league average. 
March. And Dinwiddie's peak season, which was like four years ago, was a 117. And most of that was coming off the bench. And so we're talking about a guy who's really he's a nice player. I'm not saying he's bad. He's he's not a bad player at all. He's he's basically kind of average-ish, you know, a little bit average plus, you know. And he's never been a starter, you know, to the to the point that Oz was making making. He's I mean, he's started some games, but he's he's never been a full-time starter with Brooklyn. And then the Wizards seemed to think that they were going to bring him in and make him make him the co-star with Beal in the backcourt. And I, I questioned that from the beginning because I didn't think he was actually that good. Plus he's coming off of missing a season with the ACL. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like, and the, you know, then you see what he did in the first like game or two. And it's like, wow, the, he looked great, but it's obviously been a, a trend line down since then. And whether he's hurt or he's just not meshing with Beal, um, it does seem like the solution could be to, um, move him into a high value, you know, bench role where he's playing 30, you know, still plays his 30 minutes a night because clearly he's still on that minutes limit, but he still plays that 30 minutes a night, but, you know, coming off the bench and so that he can run that second unit and be more, more of a, the dynamic player that we're seeing when Beal is out. I think that makes, I mean, I, I personally think that makes sense. And I think what we've seen, we've seen their offense just look better in general. And I think the ORTG numbers would point to that. And it, coincided with first Beal missing time and now Dinwiddie missing time. So kind of the constant is they look better when one of them is not on the floor. Now, obviously of the two, you're going to invest in Bradley Beal more than you are going to invest in Spencer Dinwiddie because Kevin, as you said, Dinwiddie has been above league average, maybe one, one and a half seasons. And Beal is who you're invested in, who they are going to make a super max investment in. So that's who you're, that's who you're going to prioritize over here. So I think it does. Personally, I just think it makes sense. I think they've looked better that way. And it's almost like, let you know, they've kind of sold the idea of depth at the beginning of the season. They have so much depth. And, and to an extent, like, yes, they, they have better, you have, they have more volume, more quantity of just average to productive, somewhat average, like NBA players. So they're not going to a Jerome Robinson or a Chandler Hutchinson this year. They're going to... Montrez Harrell, they're going to players who should actually be on an NBA floor. Um, that said, I think what you saw, and, and Spencer Dinwiddie has referenced this a couple of times this season, and it's, it's, it's an awkward thing when he says it. He always says, like the offense is that when he's asked about how aggressive he should be, it's, it's, well, it's like Bradley Beal needs his touches and everyone else is kind of going to distribute it equally around him. Or somebody's so got to not shoot. He, he loves right. that one. He calls it, yeah, somebody's not going to, like, got to not shoot, or it's Beal and everyone else evenly. The offense has kind of looked its best when it's been Beal and, and I'm, this is not turning into a Kuzma discussion, but it's like it's Beal and it's Kuzma. It's not Beal, everyone else, and Kuzma taking the same role as, as Denny Avdia right now. It's Beal, it's still two players dominating the ball mostly. And like uh and, and that's what is it's kind of like less is more right now. With less, with less people taking turns, it really started to look for a while, especially when they went into that bad, that bad funk after the 10 and 3 start, that guys were just it's like, okay, it's my possession now. Now it's my possession. And it was clunky offense. It was not organic. And as you kind of mentioned before, Kevin, the pa- the decision to pass has to look, it has to like just be part of the game in eight. It's got to be organic. And now it's beginning to look that way. And with less 
people looking for their touches on the floor, it's looking better. So, I mean, that's, I think that's something that's worth investing in. You don't like depth is great, but you also don't need seven guys competing for touches. Right. Yeah. I'm totally with you. I think the other thing worth noting here too is, and this doesn't have to turn into a longer term, what should we do with Bradley Beal convo, but he's looked kind of more engaged. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit. I think all three of us at some level, like he kind of looked into it more the last couple games and um, just a couple quotes from him real quick. I think this was after the Chicago game. He said, I knew what tonight was going to be. It was, I had to run the show and I had to understand I was going to have to get these guys shots. It was kind of that balance between figuring out when to be aggressive and when to get guys shots. And that goes to Kevin's point. When you're playing the point, you've got to run a team. You've got to get guys into the offense. You have to get guys in a position. You've got to get guys shots. You've got to talk. You've got to be engaged. You've got to encourage. You're the head of the snake at all times. It was fun. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. There was definitely a lot I can learn from that. If it happens again, I'll definitely be ready. Like when was the last time you heard Beal like, like pounding his fist on the table during a post game? Like that alone seems worth it to me just to get the most out of Beal. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, I, this is the thing with a lot of guys. Uh, you know, well, with yeah, with a lot of great players, and not to put Beal at this level, of course, but they they um, they love the challenge. They they love the challenge. I mean, you think about like Larry Bird again, not putting Beal at that level, <laughs> but Larry Bird playing a game left-handed, right? Because right? or you know, you think about Magic Johnson, who who every year added some new shot. You know, added a skyhook, added. Uh, he became a 90 plus percent free throw shooter, that kind of stuff. Think about like, you know, Michael Jordan was constantly creating challenges for himself. Um, and, you know, Phil Jackson basically put in the triangle and put Jordan into a situation where it was into a, a spot where it was actually tougher for him to get the ball and tougher for him to attack um, because he wanted to force Jordan to do more passing and more facilitating. And so, um, you know, Phil helped create more challenge for, for Jordan. And out there, and then you know, of course, Jordan being Jordan, he could he could obviously score from anywhere, right? So, point being that this is the kind of challenge that can really engage a player, and um, it's really putting a lot of responsibility on him. And you know, he's he's always been he's he's a good decision maker on the floor for the most part. Um, we I know we people joke about his like late game dribbling the ball off his foot and some of the, the heroic stuff. But, you know, you think about his, his plays in, in the final second moments or the, you know, the last minute of close games, a lot of his best ones this season have been making passes. You know, it's been passing to KCP. It's been passing to Kuzma. I mean, you think about that one game, I forget who it was against, but he hit Kuzma twice in the final minute for threes. And, um, right. you know, it, this seems like, putting the ball in Beal's hands and, and making him the primary decision maker is, um, is probably the best version of the, the Wizards offense that they're going to get. I, th I think Matt, those quotes that you had from Beal also are kind of completely contrasting of what you kind of see with him when he's been struggling off the ball. Like one of my, one of my cr critiques or criticisms with Beal is like when he is, Kind of playing the traditional two guard role and things aren't going well. He doesn't get hustled back on hustle, hustle back on defense. He's engaged with the referees tirelessly, uh, and it just you know it's not always it's not always a pleasant bat like style of basketball to watch. It's just it's very take a turnish <clears throat> by 
acknowledging the point guard role and what's entailed in the point guard role and kind of accepting that challenge, like, like Kevin has mentioned, he's, he's not doing those things. Um, like you did not see him not come back because he knows he, he has to, he has to run the offense. So he's kind of forced to clean up a lot of the things that were, in my opinion, were holding him back as a two guard. And also one of the, the evolution in his game, one of the arguments when, when people talk about Beal as a potential trade candidate, uh, national pundits that are like, oh, Beal is, would be a seamless addition to any roster. That's why every team would be after him and teams would be after him because those type of talents, when they hit the market, they are. But like he is not like a Zach Levine who is excelling on the ball and off the ball. Like you could put Zach Levine off the ball next to DeRozan and he's going to hit 40% of his three-pointers and just elevate over whoever's guarding him. Beal can't do that. Beal needs the ball in his hands to be effective uh, given how his shooting has kind of gone in his career and how like his, his game has developed. So you get rid of a lot of the things that I've critiqued or that I just had an issue with this game. A lot of the things that I think of holding him back by forcing this new role on him. And he actually acknowledges a lot of those same things in those quotes that you had mentioned, Matt, like he knows he can't, like his job is not only to just score his job is to create for others. Now, one of the other things that people have kind of, uh, I've had conversations with a few people over the last few days and they're like, Oh, well, he's just not a good enough pass or he's going to dribble off his foot. The same thing that we've always talked about. I mean, which point guard doesn't turn over? I'd rather have my point guard with like two to one assist to turnover ratio than my shooting guard with a one to one assist to turnover ratio, turning it over four times a game. I mean, this personally, <laughs> and it's not going to be perfect. He's going to, there's going to be a learning curve. And Kevin, you can probably speak to this better than I can. If, if you have any kind of high usage guy in a fourth quarter where defenses are keying on them, I bet a lot of those guys have a similar turnover number to what Beal does in the final couple minutes of a game anyway. Like we just notice it more because it's our team and we're kind of doom and gloom about everything Wizards anyway. Um, I mean, does that seem reasonable? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, players, it, when we talk about like that that crunch time, that clutch you know, play or whatever, it's such a subset that a lot of it is just luck. I mean, yeah. Beal will, every player, you know, turns the ball over, um, and, and my guess is that if we looked at Beal's uh, clutch, you know, clutch, I put I'm putting air quotes as if anybody can see it on YouTube. Um, but his clutch performance is probably pretty similar overall over over the span of his career to his overall performance. I mean, I, I looked at Kuzma yesterday because uh, um, our guy Yanir wrote a story about the you know the the Wizards being good in in clutch in close games this season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 everything he, he wrote was correct in the sense that, you know, the, the, the record is that good. The performance is that good um, this season. Um, whether it means anything, that's a different issue. Um, you know, good teams actually don't win a lot of close games. Their, their record isn't necessarily impressive in close games. They win stomps. Um, you know, the, the, the good teams avoid close games is kind of the message of the, of the data. It would be nice um, to have a few of those. Yeah, we're, we're due. <laughs> so, so when I looked at Kuzma's um, shooting in in these, you know, the last five minutes, five points or less, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Number one, he's got 465 career minutes in, in that situation. So, and we're talking a guy, what is he in his sixth year, seventh year? So. Um, six, I think. Six. I think it's his sixth season. So, um, and his, his shooting percentage, his field goal percentage, 
um, in the clutch is like 44.7% and his career field goal percentage is 44.6%. Um, and he is shooting better from three point range. It's like He's 375 like versus like 50% over the last like uh, 20 attempts, I think. And they, they said in the final, they, they had some stat about it in the broadcast where he's been killing it from three late in games recently. Yeah. But again, recently. small so, sample size. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's played 73 minutes this season. In, right. in, and we're talking about you know, 22 three point attempts. So, you know, could keep this, could Kuzma over the course of 73 minutes is two games, right? And would you expect the player, if you pick like any random two games, um, you know, a good player who shoots, say, 33% from three-point range, which is about what he does, to shoot 11 for 22 from three-point range? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, even if, again, you look at the whole career, the difference between his he, – he has shot the ball well from three-point range in that, that clutch time, that defined clutch time, 375 versus like a 33% career average. But the difference, in because of the volume is so low, the difference between – his good shooting and his like normal shooting is four made shots over the course of his career. So it's like, let's the, the, the whole thing about like the end of the game um, being like the most important time is, is let's just say that that's a, that that's an issue for a much bigger podcast. <laughs> let's win third quarters for a change and then not yeah. worry about the fourth. Yeah. yeah, you know, get the lead, build a big lead so that you're hanging on. And yeah, let's not give Charlotte 45 points in the second quarter <laughs> so that we are now trailing after being up at 15 points. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, don't, if you know, like I said, the good teams, you look at like the, the, the great teams, the Chicago Bulls, right? I mean, they didn't, or, or you look at the Golden State Warriors when they were, you know, the, the freakishly good team. You know, before even before they got Kevin Durant, and how many fourth quarters did Stephen Curry sit entirely? Right. Right. Um, that's that's what good teams do. They don't get involved in a lot of these close, mediocre teams. Get involved in <laughs> a lot of close games, and I'm not saying that as an insult to the Wizards. I'm just saying that's just the reality. Right. Guys, I got two quick ones here, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, just a sort of devil's advocate slash be the conspiracy theorist. What do you think about? They're only playing Beal at point guard because everyone else they've put at point guard immediately goes down into health and safety protocols. And we know Beal is basically immune to COVID. So um, do you think they're just putting him there to make sure that, you know, they don't lose another guard? (laughs) Maybe, maybe the real conspiracy here is that they keep putting guys into this point guards, into the, the protocol because they want to force Beal to play point guard. I like that. There you go. That's yeah. a much better angle. That That is, that's, that's the way we're going to go with this. <laughs> All right. So how will Neto is back? Do we see him start? Do we still see the same starting lineup ish? Do we get more uh, point Beal versus Houston? What do you guys think? I would say you stick with point Beal. How will Neto is, has been a pretty good player for the wizards given, especially given what they're, what they paid him. Uh, that being said, this year, he's kind of bugged me to a bit because, and, and, and it's kind of who he is, but he has really doubled down on, I am going to shoot the ball versus like, Hey, you can, you know, as a point guard, you could pass occasionally, but like, but realistically Neto is just, he's a backup point guard. Um, Beal has been playing fine. I think you kind of just, you stretch this out a little bit longer and see how it goes and put Neto off the bench. I think the minutes they really struggled against Charlotte were when Beal had to sit. And I believe the lineup was Case uh, Caldwell, Pope, and Denny as the backcourt. 
on in the second quarter. I don't maybe Kispert. That was kind of your your one, two, and three. You was KCP, Denny, and Kispert, and they really couldn't get anything going on offense to start the second quarter. So that's where you put Neto in. You start Beal, start Beal point guard, put Neto off the bench, let him uh, let him play his role in the second unit today. Yeah, I mean, I think Neto is not really a point guard. He's a he's a really short two. Yeah. And, um, I think that's part of what I think actually that's why he thrived. His best season of his career was last season um, when he was starting off with uh, Beal and Westbrook mm-hmm. in his role. You know, he's a 15% usage guy who was basically shooting open threes and attacking closeouts. And he in, in that situation, he's, he's, he could be pretty effective. I don't think he's really truly a lead guard. So I agree. I would continue to start uh, Beal at, at point guard and I would, um, I, I would like to see them go with the um, the Beal KCP at the, at the two, um, Avdi at three, um, Gafford at center, and, and Kuzma at the four. Or uh, they actually listed Kuzma at small forward and Avdi at power forward. Uh, so wh- however you want to define that, do that. Um, one quick question for me now. Uh, if Dinwiddie or when Dinwiddie comes back, how long – should Wes Unsell Jr. give those two that like if, if, if Dinwiddie immediately gets reintroduced into the starting lineup and it immediately goes back to looking clunky and just, you could, you see the lack of chemistry. How quickly should he pivot? I'm the overreactor, small sample size guy. I know Kevin will preach uh, actual common sense and patience on this probably, but if, if he looks bad and the offense suddenly looks like it's grinding to a halt again, uh, you know, after two or three games, I think I would at least have the discussion with those guys about like, Hey, we got to do something here. Like there's very like tangible evidence that, that something's off. And until we figure it out, we're going to slowly reintegrate you. But that, yes, yeah, I right. actually think I wouldn't give it much time because I think that there's already a big sample size. Um, they, they've done this over the course of the season. Um, you know, we've all theorized from the outside that it's, you know, Dinwiddie's knee is, is the issue. That doesn't actually seem to be the case because, you know, whenever he's on the floor by himself, he, he seems to play pretty well. You know, he's had some bad games, but he's also had some really good ones. And maybe that's the nature of coming back from an injury. I mean, you know, some days you feel good, some days you don't. But it doesn't seem like uh, the, the knee, while he's still clearly managing it, that's like the major issue. So um, I think that I would be be quicker to – try to shake up the lineup and see if you can do something different to get better results. It would be interesting if you have your second and third highest paid players be bench players on a hovering around 500 ish wizards team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be so wizards. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're having some success with the starting lineup as is maybe don't, don't shake it up too much. And I think at least right. for a regular season, if you have more competent bench players than the other team, that's maybe to your benefit. I don't know. I, it's just those guys have to probably play better regardless of how much they make. It just <laughs> can't survive that for, for too long here. Right. Um, one of the things Larry always preaches on this, and it says it's kind of different for every coach, but they all are good about like breaking the season down into smaller chunks. And so whatever unit of measure Wes uses for that, whether it's four games or a week or five games or whatever, Maybe that's the amount of time you give it with Dinwiddie back and then you reassess. So we'll see. That's why I actually think that you may have to move quicker here. So they've had, they had the, the strong start, then they had an elongated bad stretch. So I think we've already seen two phases to the season. 
Now, as Kevin wrote last week, they are now hitting an easier part of the schedule. Kevin, is that correct? Yes. yes easier part of the so. schedule with, so. I think, I think a, a good stretch of their next game, like a good chunk of the games are going to be at home. This is not really, if their goal is to not be a playing team and actually secure a top six seed, this is where you got to, in Eddie Jordan's words, harvest your nuts. You can't experiment anymore here. You got to get your wins here because the schedule is going to turn again. So having like reintroducing Dinwiddie and having a two, three game stretch where they just look bad because they're just not working together. This is not the time for that. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Guys, this was our first bullets forever three point play. Uh, again, we'll, there'll be a write up to this uh, at some point over the next week or so here. And then, sort of the social media engagement portion with the poll and and comments and feedback and, and all that good stuff. So the three frong attacked here, I think we, you know, if it's an old fashioned three point play, I think we made the free throw guys. Like I feel good about this already. Um, so uh, I think we're off to a good start. Any last thoughts or, or things you guys want to plug that, that you have coming up or anything? Uh, not normally. I mean, check, uh, check out all of our work. Lord, uh, you know, boats forever.com. And I agree with you, Matt. We probably did make the free, free throw. We uh we got three shooters on the on the pod right here, so you know chances that's a shot going in were pretty high. None yeah, of us I are lob threats. Much every, I think this is very much an everyone eats uh, kind of podcast. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree, uh, guys. I think the next one of these you can check out on the So Wizards feed too. So we'll make sure to sort of cross pollinate and um, you know share those across here. And obviously, you'll see it posted from. From the Bolts Forever account. So if you're not following any of those uh, entities, please go do that. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think. I think we're kind of fielding topics for the next one of these too. I don't know. Maybe is Kuzma the next Wizards Hall of Famer is a potential topic. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how it looks over the next couple of days here. We're all going to wear pink sweaters too. There you go. We're, we're all wearing them now for anyone who's not watching this online. Yeah. Yeah. I got mine directly from George Mirasan. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a perfect note to end it on guys as always rate review subscribe all that good stuff we appreciate the feedback let us know what you think anything else you want to hear about and uh, let us know what you think of this new idea we're just trying to be more interactive and shake things up and uh, we'll see how it goes until next time ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.